Well, the Sermon on the Mount kind of turns everything upside down. That's what we've been talking about over the last just about 10 weeks or so. And so today is the wrap-up of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I want to say two things, and then I'm going to pray. The first thing is that last year, this, um, this evening, last year, uh, Tanya Talaga was the speaker at this Muskrat Dam fundraiser. And these are two of her books, uh, Seven Fallen Feathers and All Our Relations. And Ruth and I bought these afterwards and read them this year. It's really helpful in understanding, I think, the, the First Nations, the indigenous issues that are before us. And so we may hear more about that uh, this evening. So I'd encourage you to come tonight uh, if you're at all able. And then I want to say, too, that um, Will and Marte Lotz, uh, who have been coming here with uh, their kids, I went back home to um, South Africa to visit their family, and uh, Will was cut by a propeller uh, from his father's airplane, and his arm is damaged, and Marte has to come back with the kids in the middle of this week and leave Will there because they're not ready to uh, release him yet. But what I was told this morning was that he still has uh, feeling in his fingers, so it is very, very hopeful. So let us pray for them. They have, they have come. They've joined in with us. They've been here faithfully and regularly. They're a lovely couple. So we want to support them. This is what we do, right? We're, a f- we're the family of God together, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, you see your people. Your word says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and your ears are attentive to our prayers. So you, you see your people. We don't stand in our own righteousness, but we stand covered in the righteousness of Jesus, and we know we belong to you. So we, we pray for Will and Marte. We thank you for them so much. We thank you, Lord, um, for, for sparing Will, and we pray that you will hasten the healing of his arm and that you'll be with Marte and the kids as they come back this week and have this time of separation, Lord, in your grace and mercy. Provide for them everything they need, we pray. And may we as a, as a congregation, as a family, as a community, um, be able to express the, the love of Jesus and the care for them in all of this. We thank you so much, Lord, uh, that Nat, Evans, and Julie have accepted the call here at Forest View. And we pray for your blessing upon them as they transition out of their current ministry and transition into Forest View here. Lord, we have seen your hand in all of this. We have seen your, your mercy, your guidance, your, in, the, in the fog of, of decision-making, we've seen the clarity of your light come in and dispel the fog and lead us. And so we want to give you thanks and acknowledge you, Lord, your leadership, your goodness in all of this process. And we pray for much fruit in the days ahead. So, Lord, as we look at the concluding part of your sermon, Lord Jesus, would you open our eyes and help us to see the wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Our lives are filled with many decisions. Some of them are really important. Some of them are not so important. But uh, when Jesus comes to the end of his sermon, 
he asks us for a decision. And that's where we are today. He's done a lot of teaching, and he's sort of upset the apple cart in a lot of ways through um, these weeks that we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And he comes to us at a point now where he is asking us to make a choice, to make a decision. Um, Some choices determine our future. We make the choice, and then the choice makes us. You know what I mean? Some choices are just that important. And that's what this one is today. Because Jesus invites us, and he urges us to choose the narrow path of following him in this life and trusting him with the life to come. That we can taste and experience eternal life right here and now as we go through his narrow gate and follow along his narrow path. It doesn't mean that we are narrow people. In fact, we're very, very broad people because we see the huge love of God for the world. I cannot overstate how important this decision is. The choice presented by Jesus here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount is of momentous consequence for our lives. This choice determines our future. God always calls for a decision. If you remember Moses at the end of his life in Deuteronomy chapter 30, he actually, um, he actually stands before all the people of Israel and he gives them a, a charge and he says this. This day I call heaven and earth so all the people of Israel are out before him. And here's Moses who's led them all the way through. He says, I call heaven and earth as a witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now, choose life, he says. Choose to follow God. Choose life uh, so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Choose life, follow God, love God, And that's where Jesus is coming to in this message. And in his audience of this day, of Moses' day, was a young guy called Joshua. And Joshua, later on in his life, he stands before the people of Israel and he says, okay, choose you this day who you're going to serve. I'm telling you right now, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. This is sort of the decision that we come to at the end of this. Sermon on the Mount. We want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He really is. Nobody comes to the Father but by him. So we, we trust in him. And this song that we've just sung, uh, if anybody remembers the words there, I will build my life on your love, and I will trust This is a firm foundation. This is sort of like, I mean, I'm blowing. Oh, there we are. Thank you for your help. I'll build my life upon your love. It's a firm foundation. This is the story of the wise man or the wise woman building their house upon the rock. And the rock is Jesus and his words. And I'll put my trust in you alone, Lord Jesus, and I'll not be shaken. When the storms of life come, I'll not be shaken. Um, That's where we're going today. So anyway, I want to read this passage and look at it, 
and I think actually my time is almost up. <laughs> but we're just going to wade our way through, okay? So let's see what we can do. Here we are. And I know I'm apologizing to all you people on this side because I was sitting right down here, and the Bible talks about being a stiff-necked people. And I was getting a stiff neck just sitting here. So I'm very sorry. Apologize to you. But anyway, let's, we'll do our best here. So choosing the kingdom. We want to choose Jesus' way. We want to choose to follow his way in the world. And that's choosing his kingdom. So um, how does he sort of summarize his whole sermon? He does it in one verse. Do you know that? Matthew 7 and verse 12. And it goes like this. It's the thing that we call the golden rule. So would you read this with me, please? You don't need to stand up. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Well, Jesus, sort of coming to the end of the whole sermon, he summarizes it with one verse. And I hadn't really thought of this as a summary before, but I was reading this guy, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's written two whole volumes on the Sermon on the Mount. It took us 10 weeks to sort of do the flyover, and he's done the walkthrough of this whole thing. And this is what he says. Um, In this one verse is the summary of the whole sermon because it's the summary of the whole law and the prophets. He says, if you do this, you can never go wrong. Think about this. If you do this, you can never go wrong. If you do to others what you would have them do to you, you can never go wrong. You won't sin against other people when you're doing this. The verse begins with, therefore... Actually, this one says so, but it actually, literally, it's therefore, and that refers back to what went before, and that's this whole passage about uh, judging one another and so on, and how um, we have this propensity to judging other people, and so we need to ask, seek, and knock God to deliver us from this and to act in loving ways as we desire for them to love us. Now, I find it really interesting that Jesus states this in the positive. He says, in everything, do to others what you want them to do to you. Other, in other ancient Near East literature, people have written it in the negative. Did you know that? Uh, Confucius did this. The rabbis did this. They stated this principle in the negative. And what they said, do not do to others what you don't want them to do to you. That's not bad but it's very limited. It's very passive. It means just don't do to other people what you don't want them to do to you. Jesus, he takes this and uh, he moves it out of the negative and he raises it to a new level. He's saying, don't just try to avoid sin. This is not just about sin management. It's about us being active doers of good in our world. Are you with me? It's about, he's saying, no, don't just try. And I remember as a kid, honestly, growing up at a church, that for me, most of my Christian life was sin management. You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh boy, no, no, we don't dance. And we don't, and we had this saying, don't drink, smoke, dance, or chew, and don't go with girls who do. I don't know where that came from, honestly. But it was all so negative, do you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's so negative. And Jesus comes here and he says, this is not negative, my friends. Do good. We're meant to be people who are out there in the world doing all the good we can do in the name of Jesus Christ. 
We, we are difference makers in the world. We're not just passive. Let's sit back here. Oh, boy, I don't want to sin. Oh, no, no, no. Then you never do anything. You just get out there and, and show the love of Christ to people in us. Actually, you know what? This reminds me a lot of this uh, surprise the world that we did last, whenever we did it, about uh, this idea of every morning you wake up and say, okay, Lord, who do you want me to bless today? Do you remember the bells thing? Bless, eat, listen, learn, and send. Who do you want me to bless today, Lord? I want to be active in doing good to others. And how, do you, how, do, how can you help me today, Lord, to just get outside of my own little selfish bubble and actually invite somebody to eat together? Invite somebody into our house sometime and be doers of good in our world. And how do I listen to the Holy Spirit, Lord? Who do you want me to bless today? And learn more about Jesus. As we learn more about Jesus and read him, we just want to be like him more and more. And we see ourselves as sent people out into the world. There was a woman. Her name was Dorcas in Acts chapter 9. It said of her she was always doing good and helping the poor. Everybody loved her. I love her. I've never met her. But this is what God is calling us to do. And why should we do this? I was thinking about this week. Why should we actually be doing good to other people in our world? Some people are pretty tough to love. <laughs> Would this be true? I mean, am I making this up? So then this idea is it's grounded in the notion that every person we meet is made in the image of God and is precious to God and needs to be precious to me too. This, I'll tell you, this is a wake-up call. This is not my natural inclination. But this is the inclination of the Holy Spirit in us, isn't it? Whether, whatever color the skin of this other person, whatever religious background of this other person, whether they be LGBTQ+, or whatever other terms are used these days, every person is made in the image of God, and it's only the love of God and the truth of God that can make a difference in those lives. I don't know if this makes sense. Does this make sense? This is what Jesus is calling us to, is to love the Lord like this and to share this love around in the positive sense. Now, this is not easy, and this is the second point, and that's why Jesus says to us here, Enter through the narrow gate. It's not easy. Most people are going a different way. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, or narrow is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, I want to say something here. I hope you're with me. Um, one path leads to life in the here and now. And the other leads to a different kind of life that's not filled with the life, the eternal kind of life that Jesus wants us to have. Jesus is addressing his followers. And what he's saying is that some Christ followers may be following a broad path that leads them down a road that does not experience all the fullness of Christ and his life within them. That 
Some Christ followers may be talking, may be taking the broad gate and the broad road and not finding the life that Jesus wants for them, really, here and now. All through the sermon, Jesus has given us invitations to a new and radical life right here. Life according to the kingdom of God on this planet. He's talked about marriage. He's talked about revenge and anger. He's talked about how to handle lust. And why would we not lust? Um, why, would not, why would we not lust towards another woman or another man? Because that person is not a consumable product product for us. This person is made in the image of God. Why, when we are worshiping God and we remember that somebody has something against us, why would we get up and leave the worship of God and go and try to reconcile with this person? Because this person is made in the image of God and is precious to God. And we want to do that. Of course, we're going to come back and worship. But Jesus has been challenging us all the way along how to live life right here and now, and it's a narrow road, and it's not easy. It's hard to live this out. It's hard to love our enemies. It's hard to forgive and not take revenge. It's hard to not judge others and to turn worry into prayer. And it's hard to not lay up for ourselves treasures on earth. And it's hard not to lust. Jesus calls us to this narrow way, which is higher because that's how we become like Jesus. We, we, we begin to become more like him. So here's a thought. Somebody said this to me, and I haven't been able to shake it. If your way is well-traveled and comfortable and easy, that's not the life of following Jesus. Well, if, you're, if my way is well-traveled and comfortable and easy, that's not the life of following Jesus. I find that kind of convicting here that because following after Jesus always involves the idea of dying to self and living for Christ. It's a life of discipline and sacrifice and great joy. And so you know what? It's like climbing a mountain. You climb a mountain. I happen to like climbing mountains. And you climb, and it's hard work, and you, you maybe get scrapes and bruises and all this kind of stuff. And you get up to the top, and it's a hard road. But when you get up there, isn't the view incredible? Really? And it's like this thing with the Christian life as well. It's a narrow road. And Jesus is not selling a product and saying, look, it's going to be easy. Just come along, and everything's going to be easy for you. He's saying it's a narrow road, but take it because it is so worth it because Jesus is so worth, worth it. And then he says, be cautious. Be cautious with whom we are following. And I'm going to go, go through this quickly, but in the church, I better read the passage here. Here we go. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. By their fruit... Oh, yeah. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Jesus is saying that in the church, among Christ followers, we have good fruit and we have bad fruit. And you remember the parable about the wheat and the tares? That they grow up together. It's not our job to actually cut down the weeds. It's God's business. He's going to separate them in the time of the judgment. That's what that parable tells us. But he's urging us here to be careful who we're following. Are we following Jesus and his way? Or are we following somebody else and their ideas and their way? So what do we do? We look for fruit. We look for the fruit of of a person's words and their deeds. In their words is Jesus at the center. Are they always coming back to Jesus and the gospel and the good news of what Jesus has done for us? Is Jesus at the center? And in their deeds, is there the fruit of the Holy Spirit there? In the life of this other person, are they doing good? Like Jesus has said, is there love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control? And you know what? Not one of us is perfect, true? If everybody's fruit inspecting me, <laughs> you're going to find you're going to find some rotten apples somewhere there. But um, it's important to kiss, consider then for us to examine our own fruit and what our own life looks like. This is like a warning to me. To to this this self interest is something this basic root of sin can just so easily come back to all of us. Oh, I want to tell you a grandchild story at this point. Can I do that? I've really resisted this whole last year to tell you grandchildren's stories. I got a bunch of them. But there was this one time uh, we were at a movie, and uh, one of my little grandkids had to go pee. Can I say that in the church? Is that all right? <laughs> so anyway, we went down to the washroom, and so we did our business, and then afterwards, I was done before he was, I went over to the paper dispenser, and I started to crank the thing down like this, you know, so the paper's coming down like this. And he comes over to me and he says, no, I do that, Grandpa. I do that. And I got down and I said, Dorian, don't you ever talk to your grandfather that way. And you know what? He never has. (laughs) Not again. I'm just saying that even in the very best of families, You should laugh at that, actually. (laughs) There's this propensity, right, to want my way and to do it my way. And what we're being really urged to do here is to look at ourselves and to see, am I following Jesus and his way, and how do we encourage others to do the same? So then it brings us to, oh, there's one more thing. I have to say this. Does anybody know Kanye West? Anybody? There's only one person? Okay, two. All right. Did you know that he's got a new album out? Does anybody know that? Okay. So Kanye West is a rapper. Okay, I will not do demonstrations. He's a rapper. He's a hip-hop guy and a producer. And he says what he thinks, and he doesn't care what anybody thinks about him. And he's just come out with a new album. It's called Jesus is king. What? And he was in an interview, and, and uh, uh, he said, I am now 
a born-again Christian. And the interviewer said to him, so are you a Christian rapper now? And he said, no, I'm a Christian everything now. Very interesting. Now, everybody's going to be looking at Kanye West long-term. Is this some blip on the map and he was smoking something bad and, you know, he went over to Jesus or what? Everybody's going to be looking long-term, right? Just like they look at us long-term. But in a song before, he had said, I am God. And now he's saying, no, I'm not. Jesus is God. He's the king, and I'm going to follow him. So what are we going to do? Is he going to be a false prophet? We don't know. What should we do for Kanye? Pray for the guy. Pray like mad for the guy. Because there have been a lot of people who've been celebrities who've sort of come to the Christian position somehow or other and then have been very easily slipped away. Pray for the man. All right, there are two more points, and I'm way over time, but let's just do this. Jesus invites us to be his fully devoted followers, not to pay lip service. So here's how he puts it. Many will say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. So now, he's not talking to non-Christians here, is he? Because I don't know a single non-Christian who walks around and says, Lord Jesus, Lord, Lord, you're my Lord. I don't know a single non-Christian who says that. Are you with me? So this is still to Christians, to people who are following him. Um, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus is moving us then from the thing of the, it's not just head knowledge, it's how Christ is transforming our lives. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name drive out demons, in your name perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. He's talking about a personal relationship here. This personal relationship between ourselves, our little selves, and the Lord Jesus Christ, where we know him and he knows us. We're the sheep of his pasture, and he knows us. This is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I want my heart so connected to Jesus in a personal relationship. It's not a religious duty, and it's not just lip service. So we end up then with the story of the um, wise and foolish builders. And this is where we're urged by Jesus to make a decision to follow him, to stand firm, and to persevere, and let us build our whole life on Jesus, his words, and his ways. Um, we've done this parable before, I know. It's a two-story parable. I think you know it. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does what? I need to hear you. Puts them into practice. So it's not just knowing in our heads, is it? It's not even just believing in our heads. It's believing enough to follow. And puts them into practice. It's like a wise person who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, streams rose, winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man built his house on the sand. Rain came down, streams rose, the winds blew, and the beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. 
When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This parable, it's a two-story parable, so therefore we compare and contrast. Compare, each builds a house, that's a life, and we all are building our life. And each house faces a storm, that's the second thing. And we're all, we all face the storms of life, that's not a variable. So where's the contrast? The contrast is different foundation. One builds on Jesus and his words. The other hears the words and doesn't build on them, does not follow. So two theological observations. One, this parable is about Jesus. This is a messianic parable. It's saying, look, folks, Jesus is the way. He's the one to trust in everything. It's all about Jesus. His words are faithful and true. And the crowds understood this. That's why they were amazed at his teaching, because he had authority. So Jesus, it's all about Jesus, and it's all about faith. That's the second theological observation. And the freedom of faith, the fact that we have a choice. Who will I trust enough to actually build my life upon Faith is trusting the foundation of Jesus Christ. And faith will be tested by the storms of life. The Sermon on the Mount creates an awareness of failure and sin in our lives, doesn't it? When we see Jesus saying, you know, don't commit adultery, but I say if you even lust after a person, you've committed adultery in your heart, and you say, oh, okay, so I have. Don't, don't commit murder, but I say if you even are hateful, angry against a person, you've committed murder in your heart. You say, oh, done that too. He, he creates this tension for us, and he says, come to me. I'll forgive you. I'll wash you clean. That's why I went to the cross, to take the penalty all upon myself, and to make not just individuals clean and new, but to make groups of people clean and new, where here we are, there's a whole bunch of us all moving in the same direction. We're a community who love Jesus and are becoming more like him. This is the picture that Jesus has for us. Individuals, yes, but a community of men and women who love God with everything we have and who are learning to love one another and love the world around us. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the Sermon on the Mount. We thank you for the picture that you painted for us of this group of people who are becoming more and more like Jesus and who are radically different from the culture around us, not following the broad road like everybody else, but following Jesus, your words and your ways, Lord Jesus. And we invite you today to refine us in our thinking. We want to make the choice to keep on following you, to persevere always and only, to follow you, to trust you, and to invite you to transform us as we present our bodies to you again. Do your work in us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up again, please. And... Um, we're going to take communion here.
because this, everything we've said today is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So I wonder, as we sing this song, if you would consider your heart and Jesus' place in your heart. If you would consider this, and then uh, I'll come back in a minute. If you, you take the bread when it comes by and take the cup and hold it, if you'll hold it, then I'll come back up in a minute and we'll, we'll all take it together.